The Easter message is the hardest message of the year to prepare. Attendance is usually up. The number of hymns and songs we sing is up. The spring flowers are up. And so are people's expectations. And the challenge is compounded by our text this morning from Mark 16. Mark is traditionally considered to be a disciple of the Apostle Peter. And his gospel is based on the experiences and on the teachings of Peter. But all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us the story of Jesus. His endless compassion, his vivid teaching, his surprisingly frequent confrontations with the religious leadership. As we have read and listened to their gospels, we realize that they are not merely teaching us, they are making an announcement. God is here. God longs to take up residence with us. God wants us to participate in what he is doing. Each gospel writer takes great care to make sure that we understand this announcement that they are making has to do with us, with you, and with me. No one is excluded. Everyone is included. If you've ever been treated poorly or as insignificant because you are a woman or a man, a foreigner or a stranger, a child or elderly, handicapped or poor, a criminal or a failure, you can find yourself in this story. You are named. You are loved. You can be saved. You can be included in God's story as it is lived out by Jesus. This story comes to a climax when one influential group God said was included in his story, decides they don't want to be included in God's story, and so they arrest him, they put him on trial, and they kill him. This story of Jesus' passion, of his suffering and ultimate crucifixion, is the single most compelling and powerful story in the entire world. Even people who don't believe this story know this story, that's what makes it so hard to preach on Easter. There's an incredible amount of suffering and evil in our world. We can turn on our television today and observe carpet bombing of one country against another country, killing many, including women and children. Or we can hear of people walking into schools or perhaps even churches and murdering children and their teachers. Or perhaps we'll see the devastation that has been left by tornadoes that have touched down and instantly destroyed everything that people have been working their entire life to build. You see, if you and I are going to have a faith that is worth having, we need to believe in a God who can make a difference. Our faith must help us to deal with the worst that can happen. Because the worst often happens. 
Jesus experienced the worst on the cross. The cross of Jesus is not just simply an unfortunate episode that we try to sweep under the rug. It's not, if you will, an embarrassing skeleton in the gospel's closet. No one fails to be moved or to be encouraged by it. But if Jesus could enter the world, and if Jesus can face this kind of extreme adversity, trial, and sorrow, then perhaps we also can find some meaning and some hope in it. The end. That is, Jesus' death on the cross is not the end. It is the climax of history simply because of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus, who was killed by people who didn't want God in their lives, is now raised by God to be their God, whether they want him to be or don't want him to be. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And we celebrate that resurrection today on Easter Sunday and on every Sunday. One Easter and 51 mini Easters every single year. Listen to the story as Mark shares with us how Peter remembered it from that 16th chapter. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb when they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And then go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone. Because they were afraid. All four gospel writers tell the resurrection story from their own perspective. They all provide a very happy ending to an absolutely terrible experience. (laughs) Except one. Except Mark. Matthew, Luke, and John provide stories of the risen Christ that confirm his resurrection presence with face-to-face experiences to his disciples who celebrated his resurrection. They walk the disciples through their hesitations and bewilderments to believe this extraordinary event actually occurred. They provide confirmations that transform their doubts into belief, their sorrow into rejoicing, their running and hiding from hostility to standing in the very center of intense persecution. All of them, except Mark. 
Mark never shows us Jesus alive. Never tells us the disciples believed. Never pictures anyone rejoicing. Never shows us anyone obeying. His resurrection story is the briefest. Just eight verses. Mark just tells us about three women coming to tend to the corpse of Jesus. He shows us this empty tomb and an empty shelf. An angelic-looking young man tells these women, there is no body to embalm this morning because Jesus is not here. He is risen. And then he commands them to go and to tell others. And then we have three women eager to care for Jesus, ignoring, disobeying the angel's command. They say nothing to nobody. The Greeks just love their double negatives. Mark's last words of his gospel are, if you can believe this, because they were afraid, period. They were literally scared unto dying. Any additional verses of Mark noted in some Bibles are not found in the earliest transcripts. The three women are at the tomb because they believe they owed Jesus their gratitude, because they were grieved by his death and because they remained loyal to his memory. But according to Mark, their response to the announcement that Jesus is alive was not obedience. They were commanded to pass along the angel's message, but instead of obeying, they said nothing, not even to the other disciples. They had just received supernatural testimony that Jesus, crucified, dead, and then buried, was not there because he was alive. And instead of celebrating, they were scared into silence. Why would anyone who had just been told that their rabbi who had been dead was no longer dead and not tell anyone? Did they consider it too good to be true? The angel says that if the women wanted to see Jesus, they should go to Galilee. You see, while, while Jerusalem was the center of Judaism... Galilee was the crossroads of the world. It was where the Via Maris and the King's Highway intersected. Those trade routes meant that there were righteous Jews and Hellenistic Jews and Samaritans and active and retired Roman soldiers and pagan Greeks and travelers from all nations that were crossing around Galilee. By going to Galilee, Jesus makes it clear that his followers will be Jews and Gentiles. That is, everyone is going to be welcomed in his kingdom. Jesus' ministry starts in Galilee. It starts at the crossroads. His mission now continues with a much broader focus. And like the women and Jesus' first disciples... You and I are invited to join Jesus in Galilee, in his mission, if you will, 
to the world. You see, the good news of Easter is that Jesus is alive and that he went on ahead of them. Jesus leads all of us to our Galilees and we are to go where he sends us and we are to go where he already is. Following Jesus always involves a journey. And so we follow Jesus to Galilee and into the world. Based only on what the other gospel writers tell us, we know that these women eventually all believed. They all obeyed. And eventually they all passed on the message. But initially, they did not. And Mark seems to go to great pains to tell us that they did not. So Mark's gospel does not have a very typical ending. His story sort of leaves this dangling. It is, if you will, an unfinished gospel like Franz Schubert's unfinished symphony. Is, there, is this any way to end a biography? Is this any way to tell a Bible story? Is this any way to make a good news announcement to the world? Mark leaves the resurrection story open-ended. It, it begs for a proper ending. And the truth is, some have apparently tried which is why 11 more verses were added in some of the later manuscripts. Is this what people want to hear from their pastor on Easter morning? See, what I think Mark is telling us is that we have now come to the hard part. We need to provide the proper ending. By stopping where he does, Mark suggests that the end has not yet been written. It will not be easy for Mary Magdalene or the other Mary or Salome or the disciples or for you and me or for any follower of Jesus Christ. But up until now, for the disciples, it has been fairly easy to follow Jesus. They watched Jesus heal. They heard Jesus teach. They followed him into Jerusalem or wherever he went. It must have been pretty hard to watch Jesus suffer and die on Friday. Perhaps very difficult to be able to get up early on that Sunday morning and go to the tomb. But I think Mark is telling us it's going to get even harder. We send our children to Sunday school, take them to church regularly, Decide to live a Christ-attentive life. Extend ourselves to love a neighbor or a church member or a family member that eh, isn't so lovable. And none of that is really the, all that easy. But it's a lot easier than what might lie ahead. See, Jesus traveled a road that most people are not all that eager to travel and then he said, come follow me. He said, go where I go. Go where I am. Walk in my footsteps. Take up my cross. Jesus said the road to real joy and Christ-likeness is 
downward mobility. It is letting go of this life. It is taking up that cross and following him. It is the role of a humble servant, a suffering servant. In raising Jesus from the dead, God is saying, this is the kind of life I bless. This is the kind of life that honors me. This is the kind that knows suffering and sorrow and sacrifice. This is the kind of life that has eternal significance. Life has now suddenly and radically changed for the followers of Jesus Christ because of his resurrection. Going forward is not going to be more of just the same of what they had experienced in the past will be the same going forward. No, going forward is going to be quite different. Jesus is alive. Jesus has conquered death. Nothing Nothing they had done could account for it. And now they were commanded to take up Jesus' mission and to see it to completion. It's no wonder they were afraid. You see, they are not in charge. We are not in charge, they are not in control. We are not in control. They're under Christ's lordship. We, if we follow him, are under his lordship. They were no longer consumers just getting Jesus to give them what they want. No. They are now those who follow Jesus. We're not simply tourists visiting the holy places where Jesus can be our tour guide. We are now witnesses to the four corners of the earth about the resurrection. Because you see, his resurrection, it changes everything. The resurrection, this one event, is the dividing point between a consumer-focused religion and a precious life-transforming gospel between a religious addendum to our life and it being the essence and purpose of our life. This one event separates everyone into one of two groups. That is, people who want God to give them what they want or people who embrace what God wants to give them. No longer are we just doing something for God, like preparing his body. Now we are to be open to God doing something in and through us, coming alive in us. We are not drawn by need or curiosity to God. God is now being drawn to us by his compassion and love. This one event separates people who want to have a bit of meaning in their life by running around doing some errands for God from the people who are willing to let God work out his transforming love and purpose in their life. This one event separates the people who come to church to tell God what God should do for them to improve their life to people who come to church to let God tell them how they ought to live in love and in faith 
and in hope and then actually do it. There's nothing wrong with wanting something from God. Nothing wrong with wanting to do something for God. Nothing wrong with telling God what is on our heart and on our mind. But there comes a time when all those who would follow Jesus must realize that God is for us, that he is alive in our world and in our life, and that he is the one that we must believe and obey and worship with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what Eugene Peterson calls the resurrection fulcrum. It is the tipping point between being focused on ourselves and being focused on God who is focused on us. And now that the preliminaries are all over, the play begins. The race starts. The mission ensues. Eternal life is launched. Are you ready? Will you say yes? See, this is why it's hard to prepare an Easter sermon. What can a pastor say? It is fairly easy to teach you something, to explain what Jesus said or what he did. It's fairly easy to tell you what you might do wrong, to point out your sins. I look in the mirror every morning. I know. It's fairly easy to call one another to action, to give advice, to motivate you to go out and do something good. But on Easter, none of that seems all that important. What is important is that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead that he is still alive even today, and that as a result, everything is different. This means that neither you nor I are in charge. God is. This means that you aren't coming to God. God is coming to you. This means that you are not needed anymore to take care of and attend to a dead Jesus, but you are now fully alive in Jesus Christ, and he is calling forth from you and from me a new life in abundance. The disciples didn't expect that. We don't expect that. The women didn't expect that. No one ever expects that. This resurrection demands so much from us if we would follow Jesus. It seems well that we should be a bit afraid because it means the end to us, the end to our current way of life where we know where we stand, where we stand where we want, where we learn, where we have learned to feel comfortable, where we think we have some control. <laughs> and now we realize we don't. It means the beginning of a new way of life where we don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day, where we find ourselves in places and in situations where we have never been before and where we understand we have no control. The moment Mary Magdalene and the other Mary 
And Salome recognized that Jesus was alive. And that their little religious jobs that gave their day meaning and identity weren't important or necessary anymore. They were afraid. They intuitively understood that life, because of the resurrection, would be dramatically different. Has to be. They were on the edge of the abyss of faith and grace, of hope and obedience. They were ready to live, and yet they weren't ready. How long? How long did they fearfully hold back? How long did they hesitate? How long did they waver? Was it, was it a few moments? Was it a few hours? Mark doesn't tell us. We do know they didn't hold back forever. Before the day was over, the other gospel writers tell us they did believe. They did obey. And because of that, the world has never been the same. Mark's gospel doesn't have a typical conclusion. Mark, unlike the other three gospels, leaves the resurrection story open-ended, yet to be written. Biblical scholars and archaeologists have searched for a preserved conclusion they thought might have been lost at some point. And meanwhile, some writers have inserted conclusions from the other gospels and attached them to the gospel of Mark. But the best biblical research indicates that Mark purposefully ended his gospel this way. And in doing so, Mark leaves us with a sense of wondering What's coming next? What is God going to do tomorrow and the next day? Will you take up your cross and follow in his footsteps? Will you tell his broken community, his church, the good news of the resurrection? Will you do in everything you do, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, of the resurrection, to a world that is hopelessly addicted to brokenness? Will you embody the resurrection life in a culture and society of death? Will you, now that you know what it means to drink the cup that Jesus drank, drink it? Will you be his disciple? Will you meet him at the crossroads of the world? It's not a comfortable place to be, let alone live. But it's where Jesus meets us. Of the remaining 11 disciples, 10 would die horrific deaths, and the 11th would be banished. Easter is the story that never ends, because Jesus continues to invite us and others to be part of the story of ultimate victory that he continues to write through your life and mine and the lives of those who follow Jesus. So please, please do not let the sun go down today without believing and obeying. Do not let the sun go down on this Easter Resurrection Sunday without embracing that life that comes only when Jesus is fully alive and living in you. Let's pray together.
Father, we celebrate the resurrection of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he sits at your right hand and is alive in each of us. Father, we acknowledge we are your temple, we are your body, we are your witnesses. And if every wall should crumble and every church decay, we remain your habitation. Ours are the eyes with which you look out with compassion in the world. Ours are the hands and the feet active in fulfilling your mission. Ours is the voice that testifies to your gospel. And now take us outside, Lord Jesus, outside holiness, outside to where soldiers curse and nations clash, out to the crossroads of this world, so your suffering, your death, and your resurrection will continue forever to bring you glory. We ask this in the name of the risen Christ. And all God's people said, amen.